listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome to the program and thank you so much for spending some time with us. Where to begin today? It is the end of the world and I do not feel fine. I don't know about you. Are you wracked with this kind of low-level worry? Just what's been going on? Obviously, incredibly sad news coming out yesterday as we began to learn the names and identities of the victims of so many Canadians and so many people who are traveling to Canada from Iran. When that jetliner went down, we have the latest information coming out from the U.S. now, and President Donald Trump has just weighed in on what he thinks possibly might have happened to that jetliner. I'm going to get you to that in just a moment, but I want to begin with this. Are you one of these people that has a red and white health card? Because if you are... I have a question. I have a question for you. What are you doing? How is it possible you still have one of these things? Do you live in the 21st century? What else do you have that is totally analog? Do you have a telephone with one of the dials on it still? Do you have? Do you even have a home line if you have a red and white card? If you have one of these red and white health cards, which are going to expire... I have a question. ...on July the 1st, then call me. 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell. I have questions for you. How is it that you have survived this long with that thing? What else what else are you doing from like the mid nineties? Are you is that your is that you're wearing acid acid washed jeans? Maybe that's popular. I don't I, I don't know. But we're gonna get to all of that later on in the program. If you have a red and white health card, call me. I have a question. I have a question. I have questions also about Harry and Megan. What in the world is going on there? They just, they take one vacation on Vancouver Island, and it's like, we're quitting our jobs. You know, I've traveled to Tofino, too, and every time I've gone to Tofino, I've thought to myself, how is it that I make a change in my life so that I can quit my job and just hang out here? You know, smear some patchouli on me and take up the bongos. Maybe that's what's coming for Harry and Megan. We're going to dig into all that. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> Also, we're going to try and get a little bit more on the possible cause of that plane crash. Also, Doug Ford later on in the program is going to talk a little bit about his late mother, Diane, and some interesting reminiscences about uh, his late mom, who will be laid till the rest of this weekend. But let's get to the big story. This is from Newsweek now. Newsweek breaking this this morning, that the Ukrainian flight that crashed just outside the Iranian capital of Tehran was struck by an anti-aircraft aircraft missile system. That is according to a Pentagon official and a senior U.S. intelligence official and an Iraqi intelligence official, all telling this to Newsweek that it was a missile, an anti-aircraft missile launched from the Iranian system that brought down that plane. Now, this also from CBS has just come in. CBS News transportation correspondent Chris Van Cleve reporting that holes in some of the wreckage at the crash site have now drawn comparisons to damage done to the Malaysia air flight that was shot out of the sky over Ukraine more than five years ago. And as I mentioned, Donald Trump speaking just moments ago. Here's what Donald Trump had to say when asked about a possible cause of the crash of this jet. I have my suspicions. It was very, I I don't want to say that because other people have those suspicions also. Uh, It's a tragic thing when I see that. It's a tragic thing. but somebody could have made a mistake on the other side, could have, could have made a mistake. It was flying, it was, it was flying in, uh, not our system, no, it has nothing to do with us. 
Uh, it was flying in a pretty rough neighborhood, and somebody could have made a mistake. Uh, some people say it was mechanical. I personally don't think that's uh, even a question, personally. So we'll see what happens. I don't know. I really don't know. I don't want to get that's up to them. At some point, they'll release the black box. Ideally, they'd get it to Boeing, but if they gave it to France or if they gave it to some other country, that would be okay, too. I think, you know, ideally, that will be released. I have a feeling that uh, it's just some very terrible, something very terrible happened. Very devastating. That is U.S. President Donald Trump saying that he personally, he personally does not believe that it was a mechanical issue that brought down that flight. Let's talk about the victims, though, because that is where a focus is for so many families and for a large community, the Iranian-Canadian community here in the city. Camille Karamali is standing by in North York, where there will be a vigil tonight, and he joins me on the line. Hi, Camille. Hi, Alan. Uh, yeah, it's uh, quite a somber mood here. Very cold, but uh, still people are out here uh, wearing plenty of layers and uh, making sure they're well covered up, uh, but they're there's still a lot of people uh, making sure that they're bringing in bouquets, candles. Uh, you can see a small vigil growing here at this hour, but obviously that is expected to grow as uh, news spreads and word spreads of this vigil happening and uh, how much and how many Canadians were impacted. Uh, you know, we just interviewed the Iranian-Canadian Congress spokesperson uh, for our Global News Noon show, and uh, he told us that there are 400,000 Iranian-Canadians across the country and about 200,000 of those, about half of that population is right here in the GTA. So a big, big hole left behind as uh, 63 people, Canadians, uh, are confirmed dead on that flight. What is expected to happen tonight, Camille? Well, because of the weather, they're also uh, now just announced that they're taking it inside the whole uh, ceremony. But uh, they're expected to uh, remember the victims, have uh, spokespeople, politicians, uh, people who may have known the victims, that's what they're working on, maybe friends and family members coming up to speak about the tragic loss and uh, just really let the Iranian-Canadian uh, community know that uh, it's not just them that are feeling this pain and this loss, but it's a big loss for the, the entire GTA, the entire province, and the entire country as uh, 138 of those people uh, that were on that flight were heading to Canada. And so even though there's 63 Canadians dead, uh, there might have been other visitors or people who might have uh, called this a second home uh, that, are, uh, that had perished on that flight. And what will be interesting over the course of today, Camille, as we watch the developments unfold from the United States and trying to get more information about what brought down this plane, is that I suspect that that grief will begin to turn to anger as the day progresses. Absolutely. And, you know, you right now it's so fresh. Uh, as I mentioned, the Iranian-Canadian Congress is working with a lot of the family members and friends of the victims. And right now it's just grief and shock because he was saying that so many people don't even don't even know the status of their family members or their colleagues. Uh, even I had uh, a teacher, a TDSB teacher, reach out to me on Instagram asking, if uh, if I knew uh, this person's name, if it was on the flight, so uh, it's and there was a couple of Twitter DMs as well that were asking about names personally. If I knew that they were on the flight, so just a lot of concern and questions uh, coming out now. So the information is still fresh, and uh, and the grief is really palpable in the air here. But as you mentioned, that can quickly turn into anger. 
Camille Caramali is a global news reporter who is uh, at, uh, you're in North York, it's at the Mel Lassman Civic Center. Square. That's right, right. Mel Lassman Square, where, as he just reported, the service will now be taken inside because of the inclement weather. Camille, thank you so much for your reporting. Thank you so much. And the vigil actually begins at 6.30, but as I mentioned, there's still some people out here, but 6.30 to 8.30 tonight. Right, and that's interesting because there is actually another vigil at Parliament Hill, I believe, that begins at 6 o'clock, and I think one in Halifax, if I read correctly, as well. Absolutely, and Montreal as well, so the entire country feeling this. Absolutely. Thank you, Camille. I appreciate that. All right, uh, we had a couple of callers on the line about uh, the red and white uh, cards, the red and white cards, but... Um, you know, they, they couldn't hold on long enough because, well, I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe their landlines cut out. I don't know. Do you have a red and white card? Sheba, who's my producer, is on. Sheba, do you have a red and white health card? I'm very proud to have a red and white card. What? It's red and yellow now because you, it's faded over time. But yes, I've, I, I have, have a question. I have a question <laughs> for you. Do you do you live in the 21st century? I listen. I how often do you you know? I guess you don't have time to meet up with friends and family because you're I always no out friends. renewing your your health card <laughs> and taking that picture. It and doesn't take that long. It you gotta, does. It's such a pain. You got to do it for your driver's license. What's wrong with no, you? No, I've on. laughed at all of you for years. Don't and you? Well, we're laughing at you. Come it's funny because here when you get the bill for any kind of health service, <laughs> my wife has one too. So she's just like Sheba. Rob on the board. Here. And I wanted to keep mine because it is a pain to go every... Exactly. Whereas service I'm Ontario out, lines? I'm Come living on. my best I have, life. I, I, mine is fine. I don't even remember the last time I had to deal with it at all. It's just, there it is. It just gets, you know, every once in a while <laughs> you go... It it's what I, no. I don't understand this attachment to the red and white card. If you have a red and white health card... Give me a call, 416-870-6400, star 640 on your cell, because you know what? I have questions. I have questions for you. Welcome back to the program. We're going to get to more on the developing news on the possible cause of that Ukrainian jetliner crashing outside of Tehran. We have developments, and the U.S. president has now weighed in. We're going to get more on that in just a moment. But first, one of our stories today is the elimination of the red and white health cards in this province. Do you have one of these things? It has been, do you know it has been 25 years 25 years since the Ontario government announced they were phasing these things out. That is how long it has taken the Ontario government, the health ministry, to break up with you people that have the red and white card. Let's go to Mike. Mike, you got one of these things? What? Why do you still have this? I, I, I love it. It's, it's indented in my wallet perfectly now. I mean, it works. It's, it's like nostalgia. I, I don't know. I just... I just like the card. Here, know, here's I, the thing: I, I when you when you go for uh, health services, do you ask them, "Could you please give me a health service that you did 25 years ago?" Do you do that? No. Well, no. no you want no, today's health service, so why don't you get today's health card? Because I like it. It's like it's like my social insurance card. It's something that I've had so long, and, and it still does the job. What? I, this doesn't make any sense to me. Just why don't you just get a new one? Because it still does the job. <laughs> Why, why, is there why, anything, why, why, any other things in your life you live in the past? Like, do you, are, are you, let me, let no. me just, okay. What's your favorite movie? What's the last movie you saw? Uh, I still like the, the Good, the Bad, the Ugly. I was going to say Back to the Future probably be one of your faves. No, 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 no. Okay. Like the old stuff. Yeah. No, it's just, uh, 
I just had it so long. I like the card. It's, uh, again, it does its job. All right. Thank, th- th- thanks, Mike. I appreciate that. One more. You, uh, caller, you have a red and white card? Yes. And you want to keep it? Um, I, I understand why they're changing them because of the elimination of fraud uh, for people who don't live in Ontario, that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, I still have my uh, birth certificate, too. And, uh, Do you have a rotary uh, phone? Uh, no, no, no. But here's the other thing. Uh, Do you use a fax machine? Uh, not lately, but uh, you know what? Uh, every five years, you're supposed to pay a fee to have it renewed. So for the last 25 years, I've at least saved that fee. Well, look at you. You, <laughs> you, you can take those quarters and dimes all the way to the bank. All yeah. right. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Listen, we we have to move on because we want to talk about what's going on uh, as this developing news right now uh, in terms of what's going on with the possible cause of the Ukrainian jetliner crashing, killing 176 people. Here is Global's Redmond Shannon now on recent developments on the ground in Tehran with Ukrainian investigators now really seriously looking at the possibility that a missile strike brought down that jet. Now, in the uh, last few hours, Ukrainian investigators have headed to the site, too. We believe they are now on site working together with Iranian investigators on the ground. A team of 45 arrived from Ukraine just a few hours ago. I want to bring in Mary Schiavo, who is a transportation lawyer and safety advocate, to comment on what we're hearing now from U.S. sources. Hi, Mary. Hi there. Good to be with you. Uh, the latest information now reported from two different sources is that it appears, or at least Pentagon officials are saying, that an errant missile mistakenly had brought down this jetliner. Is there any evidence of that? Well, there's evidence of uh, of not being a mechanical failure. For example, there was no mayday call. The aircraft was climbing at the right altitudes and rate of climb and had the right uh, speed showing on radar. Um, the airline would have what's called ACARS messages, automated messages from the plane. If anything had gone wrong with the plane, they've had time to look at those messages. And so there was just no evidence that uh, all of a mechanical failure, and certainly the way in which the plane came down, uh, there was fire in the sky. That is usually, uh, you know, an explosion, a bomb, a missile. That's what statistics tell us likely happened when you have an explosion in the sky. And so with this additional news, I'm not sure if it's been confirmed yet or not from the U.S. that they did see two missile tracers. It would certainly fit with the very limited evidence that's available. Speaking of limited evidence being available, Iran has said it will not hand over the black box. Without that, will we be able to definitively say one way or the other? Sure. And and under the treaty, which all aviation nations abide by, it's called the Montreal Treaty, we agree, all nations that agree to the Annex 13 protocol for how you investigate an air crash, Iran doesn't have to hand over the black boxes, but it does have to give them to a, a reputable, established, capable black box download lab. Iran says they have one capable of doing it. By the way, if they don't, there are private contractors that can literally deliver to them a black box download lab within hours. 
So the question will be how good they are at analyzing the evidence and making sure that in downloading the black box data, and it's a very new black box, there will be a thousand lines of code, different things recorded on this black box, that they don't uh, lose any of the data. So that's going to be the important thing is making sure when they do the download, the data isn't lost. Um, the owner of the black boxes is uh, going to be the insurer of the aircraft. So technically, uh, probably a, an insurance company at this point will own those black boxes. So the handing over was a nonsensical statement by somebody not familiar with Annex 13 of the Montreal Treaty. I understand that, but if the Iranian and the Iranian government it has control of the release of that information, if the raw data is not handed over, is it not going to then be very suspect? Yes, it's going to be very suspect, and, and handed over is kind of a misnomer. Uh, when they produce their preliminary report under the, the way it's supposed to work, and most aviation nations of the world do follow this um, but what they are supposed to do is make the raw data public. And they are supposed to do that uh, on, within 30 days. They're supposed to open a crash investigation um, docket. And they are to post that raw data so literally the world can see and the world can analyze it. And they have already in their first uh, statement given notice to Canada to the U.S. NTSB and Sweden, Great Britain, and persons, any country with persons on the plane um, of the investigation and officially invited Ukraine in. Ukraine obviously has some experience with a shoot-down, having worked MH17. So we will know very quickly if they're going to follow the international standards and post that data if they open a docket and make that data public by day 30. CBS News has reported that the wreckage at the crash site is drawing comparisons to the damage done to the Malaysian air flight that was shot out of the sky over Ukraine. Right. Can can you sense that? Can you see that from the video yeah. that you see, or do you, must you be on the ground mm-hmm. to make that assessment? Well, you'd need to be on the ground and actually be a trained investigator to make the official assessment, and most importantly, you'd need to test that wreckage for uh, explosive residue, and those tests will be absolutely conclusive whether it's there or not. Um, and that's what they did in MH17. The Dutch authorities did the uh, the residue testing. They worked with with Ukraine as well, since that's where it happened. But Dutch played a very big lead, as I expect Canada will pay it, play a big lead. The Dutch did in MH17 because there were so many Dutch citizens on board, 63 Canadians on board. And so in testing for explosives, that will be conclusive. There are a number of pieces of wreckage with uh, projectile intrusions into the aircraft, meaning something came into the plane from outside as, expo- as a, opposed to exploding from the outside, from the inside out. And that's, of course, a pattern that they're looking for when they're looking for uh, a missile strike. But it will be the residue testing that will be most conclusive. Mary, give me a sense of timing. In that case, how long did it take till we got a conclusive evidence? Uh, Obviously, Ukraine is not Iran, but can we draw some comparisons on timing? Well, yes. Unfortunately, it took, uh, you know, it took a long time in MH17 because there are lots of issues about who was going to be allowed to do the testing, etc. But there was evidence of, you know, uh, radar and heat sensing uh, signature evidence that a missile had brought down 
17. Here it will depend on how fast they allow uh, independent testing of the missile residue. And remember, when you do an air crash investigation, the participants are supposed to be allowed to observe. So my guess is, is TSB, you know, Canada is on its way. I assume they put their GO team in force to get there and observe this. Uh, Whether the NTSB, the U.S. NTSB will be allowed in to observe, who knows. But they are supposed to be allowed to be uh, observers and participants as a party to the investigation at every step of the way. So this testing is going to be very important. And I'm just assuming that, that TSB will be there. Mary Scavo is transportation lawyer and expert in all of these matters. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. So, interesting developments just within the last couple of hours. We now have Pentagon officials suggesting that it was an errant missile mistakenly fired by Iranian forces that brought down this jet. I think you have to keep in mind that there is perhaps... I wouldn't say a motivation, but perhaps you would want to take that with a grain of salt considering where it comes from. But the evidence continues to mount that this was not a mechanical failure. And we heard President Trump saying that, that it does not appear that whatever brought down this plane was a mechanical failure. Welcome back to the program. So much to talk about today. Let's begin with those red and white health cards. Do you have one of them? There are 300,000 people in this province that still do, even 25 years after the Ontario government first announced we're phasing these things out. That is a long breakup, folks. That, that it, that's taken a while to ghost on you. Here is the Minister of Health, Christine Elliott, talking about the cancellation of those cards, which will no longer be effective come July. After July 1st, the card will not be accepted for services. People will need to to pay up front if they require those services. And once they do receive the new card, of course, they will be reimbursed. So you're going to have to do something about it. Those of you who have done nothing for 25 years, now that is some procrastination. Let's get back to what's going on with Iran in the U.S. with the deluge of news. And, of course, you've just heard that there have been recent developments now, uh, increasing belief from U.S. officials that a missile fired by the anti-aircraft system in Iran brought down that Ukrainian airliner. But within all of that, there has been sort of a talk. Remember yesterday when the president came out and said, you know, Iran's done their thing. They fired those missiles at us at our, uh, at our air bases, and they're done, and, you know, things are, you know, things can be better. And it was, you know, almost an olive branch offered up. So does that mean that there actually has been some kind of a mini detente within the escalation, if you get what I'm saying? Well, Matthew Fisher is an international affairs columnist and foreign correspondent specialist here on Global News. And here's what he had to say about this talk, that there might be some optimism of a thaw. 
I would not be terribly optimistic about the situation today. Uh, you know in the Middle East uh, memories run very deep and uh, just as the Americans haven't forgot the hostage drama and when Jimmy Carter was president uh, at the embassy in Tehran, uh, the Iranians have not forgotten anything that they think the Americans have done to them over the years and they will not forget at all uh, what happened to Qasem Soleimani uh, over the weekend uh, when he was uh, based basically murdered. And for perspective on all of that, if I say Iran Air Flight 655, what does that mean to you? Well, probably it doesn't mean anything at all to you, unless you happen to be Iranian, unless you happen to live in Iran. Because Iran Air Flight 655 was a passenger flight from Tehran to Dubai that was shot out of the sky by the United States In July of 1988, all 290 people on board, including 66 children, were killed. I just add that for perspective when we start talking about what Iran believes and what Iranians think in Iran of the United States. And what about the price of oil? Have you noticed this? Because I think a lot of us thought, you know, considering what's happened over the last couple of days that the tensions would drive up the price of oil. But no. In fact, Dan McTeague says that the prices are going to come down three cents a liter overnight. Why is that? The fundamentals are of supply and demand remain very, very strong and very pro-consumer in the sense that consumers are benefiting from uh, the U.S. technology that has freed up oil that uh, many thought was not possible uh, just a decade ago. And so for that reason, I think Canadians can continue to expect, relatively speaking, lower prices, save and accept taxation, a weakness in the Canadian dollar. Uh, The reality, I think, for many is that uh, good news and the ability for Americans to get not only production of oil up uh, substantially, but also get it to the market is one of the main reasons why the world is perhaps less sensitive to geopolitical tensions. So all of that drill baby drill in the United States is now paying off for us at the pumps because the Americans are able to extract so much more oil and bring it to market that therefore the reliance on OPEC nations and Iranian oil has decreased. And therefore, you see a situation where even though you see a geopolitical incident like the last couple of days and tensions rise, you don't see the price of gas go up. I want to turn to Doug Ford, our premier, who is in mourning now after losing his mother over the weekend. Diane Ford will be laid to rest Saturday in a public funeral. Premier Doug Ford spoke with our Queen's Park Bureau Chief, Chief Travis Danraj about his mother, and he spoke about his mother Diane's incredible but yet unofficial resume. She's probably the, the only person I know of uh, with on her resume uh, was the unofficial Chief of Staff for a provincial MPP, my dad, uh, Rob as a counselor, myself as a counselor, my nephew as a school trustee and as a counselor, uh, as a mayor and as a premier. So uh, she held uh, you know, many portfolios uh, unofficially, like, like any, any uh, mom. Isn't that true, like any mom, the unofficial portfolio. And here I found this interesting. This is Premier Doug Ford talking about his mom and what she didn't like about politics. And and I think this is interesting because if you think of the Ford family, 
and you think of Rob Ford and Doug Ford, their persona in the public arena, in the political arena, is that of fighters, that of aggressive politicians. Certainly, I think that that bears out. The evidence has borne that out over the number of years. And Doug Ford, the premier, admits as much in this next clip where he says his mom never liked that side of politics. She never liked the fighting in politics. She uh, she didn't like it at all. She didn't like when, you know, Rob and I would get, I guess, a little rambunctious sometimes. Uh, so, again, don't you get personal. Know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but never get personal with uh, someone, even if it comes down to politics. Uh, because the politics aside, you know, we're all human, we all may have our different views, but we're all here um, to make our country, our province, and our city the best in the world. That is Premier Doug Ford in conversation with Travis Danrash, and you can see that full interview tonight on Global News at 5.30 and at 6. A service will be held at the Toronto Congress Centre at 650 Dixon Road on Saturday at 10 a.m., The service will be open to the public and will be followed by a private burial for Diane Ford, 85 years of age. Welcome back. Thank you so much for spending some of your time with us. So much to talk about, and we haven't had a chance to really dig into the uh, Harry and Meghan news, that shock announcement yesterday that came yesterday afternoon that said that the pair were going to be stepping down from their uh, duties as senior royals and that they were going to split their time between the U.K. and North America. A number of reports are saying that uh, when they say North America, they mean Canada. And, of course, this comes off their vacation here in Canada over the Christmas break in which they said they were treated so well. And then they went and visited the Canada House shortly after that and thanked all us Canadians for being so nice and so polite and constantly apologizing all the time. Now, let's just kind of dig into it a little bit, because this news has just exploded in the U.K., and it has set off a bit of a crisis, really. And I think it's going to have a lot of ramifications for the royal family down the line. This is a story we're going to hear a lot about. I want to take you through a couple of the headlines. The Sun in the U.K. dubbing the announcement Megxit. Megxit, everybody. And said that this was now a palace bombshell that had begun a quote-unquote civil war. The Daily Express went with, quote, Queen's dismay as Harry and Meghan step back from royal life, hinting at a brewing conflict within the family. The Daily Mail wrote, Queen's fury as Harry and Meghan say, we quit. Here's a resident of Windsor. Windsor in the United Kingdom expressing a little bit of disappointment about Harry and Meghan. It hasn't really come as a shock. I think it's been brewing for a while. Um, It's a shame um, because a lot's been spent on them with the royal wedding in Windsor and the royal family. You know, it's a heritage of ours. Hey, listen, we paid for your wedding. Where do you think you're going? We paid for your... You can't move away from here. We we picked up the... We paid the bar bill. Are you kidding me? You can't leave now. I have a question. I do have questions about all of this. I have many questions. You know, the royal family is kind of like Hotel California. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. Here is royal biographer Angela Levin 
saying it's not clear how Prince Harry intends to become financially independent. You haven't got an actual career. I mean, his career was the army. That's what he was very good at. That's what he loved. That's what he felt at home. But he can't do anything like that. He's not somebody who sits behind a, a computer. He told me he hates that. He's an action man. He wants to be doing things. What can he do? Action man. You can't be an action man in Canada. That's not possible. We have no action here. Oh, there is so much to dig into here, and to help me with all of that, Dr. Carolyn Harris, who is a professor of history at U of T and an expert in monarchy. Thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you. So let's begin with the statement itself, and I want to read some of it to you because the the, the words in it, I think, are important. Basically, what they said is that after reflection of internal discussions, we have chosen to make a transition this year. And we intend to step back as, quote-unquote, senior members of the royal family and work to become financially independent. What does that mean? Can they actually say, well, we're not going to be senior members of the royal family anymore? Well, there are a lot of details to work out as we do not know how they're defining the role of senior members of the royal family. What this seems to mean is they will engage in the philanthropy that's most important to them, causes such as the Invictus Games, Harry's work as a Commonwealth Youth Ambassador, but we may not see them at all those state dinners, those diplomatic visits to various regions of the world outside the Commonwealth, that we won't see them inheriting patronage from older members of the royal family. So I think what they're trying to say is that they want to redefine the role on their own terms rather than inheriting traditional duties that are not as meaningful to them. Well, now I want to read you the palace statement, the Buckingham Palace statement that came out a couple of hours after the statement from Meghan and Harry, and that said, Discussions with the Duke and Duchess of Sussex are at an early stage. We understand their desire to take a different approach, but these are complicated issues that will take time to work through. Which I think is what I'm going to say to my son when he wants to go play video games. I'm just going to say, well, you know, we're at an early stage. It seems like they're saying here that the, the palace is staying, uh, you no, know, this isn't going to happen. Um, so, so, well, the palace is saying that there are still details that need to be worked out. What does stepping back from the role of a senior royal mean? What does it mean to be financially independent? A strict reading of that may mean that they won't draw on money from the sovereign grant, the revenue from the crown estates that goes into the treasury and is often described as public money uh, in the British press. But it remains to be seen uh, whether Harry will make use of inheritance money that he has. He inherited some money from his mother, Diana, Princess of Wales, and from his great-grandmother, the Queen Mother. Of course, Prince Charles also has extensive income through the Duchy of Cornwall. And so just what it means to be financially independent uh, still remains to be defined. What do you make of the reaction from the United Kingdom, first of all, from the press, and then also just what anecdotally anecdotally you're hearing? Well, the British press has been uh, has been quite critical of certain decisions that Harry and Meghan have made, such as the renovations to Frogmore Cottage, the decision not to release the list of godparents to their son Archie, and there's an expectation in Britain that if public money is going towards this royal couple, the public should be able to see the renovations to their cottage or see their son much more frequently. And clearly that's not what Harry and Meghan want going forward. They want to have some privacy. 
So then, does this come down to, like, you know, keep your money, we want our privacy? Is that really the takeaway here? I think there are aspects to that, that they do have an Instagram account and a public profile of their own on social media, but they seem to want more control over their public image and and to be in less of an adversarial relationship with the British press with all the focus on what public money is going towards them. Is there a requirement for them to conduct royal duties? I mean, you know, basically, are they free to just say, well, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go take an office job or whatever it is. Well, there have been previous members of the royal family further down the line of succession that have stepped away from royal duties. Queen Victoria's granddaughter, Princess Patricia, the honorary colonel-in-chief of Princess Patricia's Light Infantry in Canada, uh, when she married, she stepped away from royal duties. She stopped using the title as princess, but she kept the causes most important to her, such as her regiment. So we've seen there, and this was about 100 years ago, so we see some cases of members of the royal family deciding they want to go down a different path. And so Harry and Meghan are also trying to redefine their role. And as Harry's sixth in line, he has much more freedom than his brother William in order to decide on his own future. I've been interested to read the comparisons uh, in the press, uh, everything from, you know, Meghan Markle is Yoko Ono, is breaking up the Beatles, to more substantial comparisons between Ms. Markle and Wallace Simpson. I wonder if you could talk about that. Well, I think a better comparison in some ways might be Grace Kelly, the actress who married Prince Renier of Monaco, and then struggled in some ways to find her role within the princely house of Monaco, which had very strict protocol and and was initially quite critical of Grace Kelly, but certainly because Megan is divorced and American and... Uh, <clears throat> and seems to be interested in stepping away from traditional royal duties. There have been comparisons made um, to Wallace Simpson as well. Interestingly, Edward VIII um, was another royal with a close relationship with Canada. He bought a ranch in Alberta in 1919. And, of course, when we talk about the Prince's Gates, that what I think that's named for him, is it not? Yes, when he visited in 1927 with his brother, um, Prince George, the Duke of Kent. So give me a sense then of shock value uh, for the British public, because the way this came out and how it came out, like you say, it came out on their Instagram feed, uh, and, and how this is being handled. I mean, what does that mean going forward for the royal family at large? I think there isn't so much shock about the couple being discontented, but there is some shock regarding them making a big public statement of this kind. And has that, I mean, you know, the the takeaway, the conventional wisdom is is that's caused a rift within the family and that the monarch herself is furious about that. I mean, do we have any evidence that that's true? Well, the Queen is very careful not to speak to the public, and so it and so with the Queen, we're not sure of her precise feelings, but William has praised her for um, for giving him a great deal of latitude to determine his own path. And so while, it, while she may be disappointed that there are fewer senior working members of the royal family, certainly, um, certainly a past evidence suggests that she'll continue to support him as her grandson. And so it really remains to be seen what decisions will be made behind Palestine. I'm speaking with Carolyn Harris, a doctor and a professor of history at the U of T. 
Dr. Harris, give me a sense of how you would possibly envision that Harry and Meghan would have a life here in Canada. Um, I think it would be a... Uh, a, a life that would be comparatively private, as this would be where they go to get away from it all. But Harry did undertake some military training in Canada, so it's possible that he may return to his interest in flying helicopters or engaging with the military. Dr. Harris, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate being thank on the program. Thank you very much. So very fascinating and interesting to see that. And, of course, I, I had a, a you know good time last night just kind of thumbing through all the headlines and all the jokes and all the bits. I mean, there's a, there's a great Instagram account, and I forget who does it, but basically it is of William's son, who is the uh, heir to the throne, who who hates Meghan Markle. And the whole bit is the you know, every picture that the two of them are in, he's given her the cut eye. And uh, the, the, the thing last night was that the Instagram was just a shot of him and I win I win you leave so 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 interesting do you think and here's the other thing that I I, I, I laugh about is if Megan and Harry come to Toronto they could maybe get themselves a fixer-upper in the east side maybe a bungalow and here's the bonus is they can in they can get it with some help from mom and dad or at least dad you think though <laughs> You think that, I mean, it's nice to envision them just living a Toronto life, like on the TTC, working three sweating, jobs, sweating like the rest of us. Surrounded by security, taking up all those spots on the TTC. Yeah, good spots. <laughs> a whole train. <laughs> Can your security detail please stand up and let the rest of us sit down? No. But I, I, it's interesting to think of them here in Canada and whether or not, do you think Canadians, we think we'd leave them alone? Well, look what happened to Kauai. That's the closest we've had to royalty living here. I know. And, and we have him out of town. We, we followed him from the airport <laughs> when he came here in his car. I don't think we'd leave them alone. We're no, not going to leave them so. alone? No. I think we're we, polite, but we're nosy. Yes. And the thing is, is I think, I think by and large, Canadians would leave them alone. It's just the press will never leave them alone. <laughs> ever. Yeah, this show. Because, no, because here's the thing is, is like, as Canadians, if you saw him walking down the street, just leave them alone but I'm going to go and click on a link about what they're doing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would say I'm going to buy a newspaper, but nobody does that anymore. Where they're eating, what they're wearing, what she's wearing. Most women I know are obsessed with her, myself Uh, included. Why why are you obsessed with Meghan Markle? Oh, she's wonderful. First of all, she's stunning. Her sense of style, her charity work, her persona. She just seems like a wonderful woman. Well, there's a lot of people in the UK that think that she's breaking up the band. That's because she's black. You think that's what it comes down of course. to? Yeah, I absolutely think that's what it comes down to. Of course. Thank you, Sheba. I appreciate your help on this program today. I'm just going to leave that there. Sheba Saduki is our producer of the Alan Carter radio program, and Rob is on the board. Appreciate you being with me. Join me tonight at 5.30, will you? We are going to take you live to that vigil, that candlelight vigil in North York. My co-anchor, Farah Nasser, will be co-anchoring from the site as so many Torontonians come together to remember and to mark the lives lost in the crash of the Ukrainian airliner just outside of Tehran. That story continues to develop. We'll keep you up to date all day long here on Global News Radio. Thank you for spending some time with me. We'll be back again tomorrow at noon.